Good morning. This morning's reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look up to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why, what do you say, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the end of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Hazel. Sefa's going to come and speak to us. Um, I'm going to pray for you before you do that, Sefa. Um, and I just want to big you up a bit. Because, I mean, those of you who don't know Sefa well, um, see, I would use the word tireless to describe Sefa. She's been representing our church on all of the Fit for Mission committee, leadership things. That's not quite true, all of them, but most of them, pretty much regularly. She's been leading our worship team. She's been praying and prophetically kind of interceding for us as a church for, for years now. Um, and I know has, um, has got you know, a word to bring us this morning that's really important to us, I think. So I'm just going to pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for Sefa. I thank you for her tirelessness. I thank you for her faithfulness. I thank you for the, um, the, the work that she does in your name. I, I thank you for the vision and the hope that you've given her. I thank you that, you, um, that through her we can see a new future. And Lord, as she brings your word this morning, um, help us to see that new, uh, that new future more clearly. Just bless her words to us, we pray. Amen. Hopefully you can hear me. Oh, amazing. 
It's great to be back at the front chatting to you guys, and I'm, I'm excited about this. I've been thinking and mulling over this message for a little while. Now, I don't know about you, my January has been a bit mad. The um, pre-Christmas build-up, the pre-Christmas stress hasn't quite disappeared for me, so I am clinging on hope to the beginning of February and hopefully a little bit more quietness and a little bit more peace. And I know lots of us here are hopeful and excited. And for those of you who are counting, there's only 21 sleeps left until he turns up. So this morning, we are going to be speaking about New Hope. And when, as a culture, are we more hopeful than at Christmas and New Year? So seeing as we've only got two days left of January to go, I thought now would be a great moment to have a little review. So pop your hands in the air if you are excited for a new year. Okay, brilliant. Keep your hands in the air if you made any New Year's resolutions this year. Oh, none of you. Oh, well, that's that ruined. <laughs> I was hoping that somebody would have made a New Year's resolution and I could ask you, I could ask you what it was. But having chatted to some of my patients over the last few weeks, I know that lots of them have had New Year's resolutions that they haven't really quite kept particularly well. A few of them have cheated, they've had a few chocolate bars, they've had a takeaway, or whatever it was they said they were going to do. The thing I love about New Year's resolutions is we make them with hearts and minds that are full of hope about the year to come. I wonder, in the past when we've set New Year's resolutions, what were we thinking about? Who was it that we were trying to become? What right was it that we were trying to correct? What thing were we trying to achieve? But as we've all shown, sometimes we're not very good at setting resolutions and plans. And if my patients are anything to go by, lots of news resolutions end up on the cutting room floor before the end of January. If your resolution was to, say for instance, look at a picture of a dog every week, and by the end of January you'd failed, that's probably not that much of a tragedy. But where does that leave our deep hopes, our deep desires, the things that we perhaps wouldn't dare even speak out loud to another person? I confess, I did not make any New Year's resolutions, mainly because I forgot. I remembered around 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve, by which point I was too tired and too full to care. And so I thought, maybe next year I'll think about a New Year's resolution. So you can ask me next year whether I, whether I got around to it. As I said, today we are going to be speaking about new hope, and I found hope to be a quite challenging word to define. Is it trust? Is it wanting something to happen really, really badly? Is it the opposite of fear and despair? Is it our tool that we go to in times of crisis? Or is it something that we use for every day? I did a bit of studying, and psychologists say that hope is an emotion. It's that thing that stirs up inside us when there's an obstacle in the way of the goal that we are trying to achieve. They say that the thing that differentiates hope from optimism is the ability to make a plan, and that hope is therefore the ability to make a plan, set a goal, and will yourself to get there by sheer might. I would like to challenge that position a little bit this morning, because my gut reaction is, where is God in that? If my hope and the realization of it relies on me, A, being able to make a plan, and B, willing myself to get there, I am well and truly stuffed. Some months of the year, I can't make a plan, and I can't make a goal. And so if my hope depends on me being able to do those things, I really am in trouble. 
I think biblical hope is more than just a determination that if I try really hard in this direction, I'll get that thing that I want. But often, I think when we talk and we think about hope, we ask the question the wrong way around. We should be asking, who are we hoping in before we ask the question, what is it that we are hoping for? This is the definition of hope that I really like. It says, hope is to expect something with confidence and to cherish a desire with, an antici with anticipation. And when we put the who question before the what question, those expectations and those desires can be seen in their proper context. For example, I can confidently expect that God will love me because he says he will. That depends on God. I can confidently anticipate that I'm going to become more and more like Jesus over the course of my life because if I turn my face to God, God's the one who guarantees that. Oh, my screen has just disappeared and gone blank. Um, so we're going to jump back into today's passage. We are looking at Isaiah, and Isaiah, again, is talking to the people of Israel. And hopefully, in a moment, there'll be a picture of King Hezekiah coming up on the screen. It's a couple of slides along. There we go. So... This is King Hezekiah. He is one of the kings of Israel in the olden days. And King Hezekiah had been really foolish. There had been these Babylonian envoys who'd come, and he'd taken them around the treasure room, and he'd showed them all the treasure that belonged to Israel. And what his angle is, I'm not quite sure. He could have been bragging, forgetting that everything that he had was a gift from God, or maybe he was laying the foundation for a new political treaty to keep him safe. Either way... God was not impressed. God is never going to support us putting our strength and hope in someone or something else. And he's also not going to tolerate us taking the credit for things that he's done, acting like it was all us. So God sent Isaiah to tell Hezekiah because of his behavior and his foolishness, Israel was going to go into captivity in Babylon. And by the time we get to this, today's reading, that had actually happened. The people of Israel were in captivity and slavery in Babylon. And it's at that moment that God speaks comfort to his people and he reminds them of his greatness, that he has no equal and that rescue is on the horizon, forgiveness is at hand and they are not abandoned. The words of Isaiah has been set to music in some incredible songs and I remember being really stirred by this word many years ago and so I wrote a little song, I'm going to sing just a little bit of it for you to remind me about the truth of this passage, where God is in his place and where I am in mine. You hold the waters in the hollow of your hand, they are that small. You map the heavens with the length of your stretched span, mine is so small. Lord, your vastness I can barely understand. Who am I to be seen by the great I am? If you haven't read Isaiah 40, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It is a treasure trove of truths and wonder about God. In it we see that God wants us to know that if hope is what we are looking for, he is where we start. Because his power is irresistible and unchallengeable. He is the creator, creator and sustainer of everything. He is the source of our strength. He is the one who calls out the stars by name. And in the passage we read today, he is challenging the Israelites about their default mode, about how they approach and how they turn to him. He asks them, to whom shall you compare me? Who is my equal? 
The question reminds me of one of Shakespeare's sonnets. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and temperate. But in the words of a kid's worship song, God is better than Spider-Man, better than Batman, better than Superman, and anyone else. There is no comparison for God. But do we know that deep down, do our actions show that we know that? Like I said, I didn't get round to setting any resolutions this year, but I do believe that God has given me a few words about what he wants to do in me this year. And those words are overflow, amazement, restore, and vessel. Firstly, that God would teach me again what it looks like to give and serve from the overflow of what he's given me, instead of a judicious scraping of the barrel, hoping that I might be able to stuff out some more that I would be prepared to be amazed by the things that God's doing in me and through me and in and through the people around me, and that I will see the green shoots of restoration in the broken places in my life. But what about vessel? A vessel is simply a hollow container used to hold something. It could be a bowl or a cup. And the thing that God has been challenging me about is the places that I put my hopes, my anxieties, my dreams, and my fears. The short answer is, sometimes I put those things in really stupid places. But today's passage gives us a great rationale for investing those things in God, the one who is irresistible, all-powerful, unrivaled, everlasting, creating and sustaining everything. And to be able to do that, I think we need a vessel, a place to put those things. Long, but place to put those things alongside God's faithfulness and his fidelity. That's why the second title for today's message is Build the Vessel. There we go, it's on the screen. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to build a God boat together. And we're going to put our anxieties, our fears, our hopes and desires in that vessel, knowing that God is a starting point for hope. So this is my Blue Peter moment. I've made lots of small boats. Hands up if you have not got a boat because you are gonna need one. You're gonna need a brilliant. Kofi is gonna bring around some boats. I apologize, some of these boats are really quite rubbish because <laughs> we weren't very good at making these boats when we first started. But you'll have a boat, you'll have some post-it notes and a pen. And for my Blue Peter moment, we also have a massive boat up here that I made between <laughs> the first and second service. I'm gonna leave this here for, um, dramatic effect. Keep your hands up if you've not got a boat and Kofi will run round and bring you one as quick as he can. So step one of building a God boat is establishing a relationship with God that you can look back on. In verse 21, Isaiah asks us, haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? And the answer to the question for most of us is, we have heard, we do understand, and we are not ignorant. But perhaps we are not leveraging those things that we know about God and our experiences and our testimony. Perhaps we are not taking those steps that we need to to deepen our understanding of him. God's faithfulness is integral to our God boat. That is our foundation, or in boat terms, it's our stern, it's our keel. It's that strong foundation and center that keeps us going straight and true. We need to be able to look back on our walk with God and point to the places that he is faithful. 
So the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is write on your boat something that reminds you of God's faithfulness to your family or to you or the community that you're in. The words that I'm writing on my boat are preserve and just enough because in my life I have been in some impossible, mad, crazy situations and despite the madness and the impossibility of those places, God has preserved me anyway and he's made sure that everything I have is just enough. So there should be, in a moment, a prompt going up on the screen. It should be two slides. Next one. Brilliant. So I'm going to give you a moment, and that's the thing to write down. Write down something that reminds you of God's faithfulness on your boat. On the boats. On the boats themselves, you'll use the bits of paper for something else a little bit later. How are you all doing? Thumbs up if you're happy. Anybody need a little bit more time? Great. So step two is encountering God in his majesty and acknowledging his power. In verses 22 to 23, Isaiah paints a picture of God sat in heaven. He says above the circle of the earth and he looks down on people and he says we're like grasshoppers and that the heavens are like a curtain that he can pull across. And it's one of many, many pictures in the Bible and in Isaiah specifically about God. My favorite one is the picture of God in Isaiah 6 where it talks about God sat on his throne and his robe filling the temple and there being incense and singing and angels because it's a picture that blows my mind. Up on the screen is a painting, that, well, it's a picture, an AI. This has been created by an artificial intelligence program, which I think is bonkers. And it's called Kingdom of Heaven. It's an interpretation of what heaven might be like by an artist called Hanar Sharif. And I love this picture because it's perplexing and it's grand and it's very unlike what I think heaven would be like. Completely different to the thing that I pictured in my head. And I love this picture because it challenges the image of a pocket-sized God that I like to carry around. You know, God on your phone, a little angel, a little cherub and some tiny little pearly gates that you can carry around in your back pocket. This is perhaps a little bit more like the kingdom of God, behind something much, much bigger and grander than I would conceive with my own imagination. Isaiah goes on to tell us that this God can blow people away like chaff in the wind before they've even had the chance to establish their grand plans. For all the ways that people jostle for power and influence, God can blow it all into the wind in an instant. He is that powerful. I don't know about you, but my breath is barely enough to warm my hands on a cold day. It's pretty rubbish, actually. But God can blow everything into the wind with a single breath. I wonder, how often do we stop to acknowledge God in his rightful place and orientate ourselves correctly in light of his majesty? 
how often do we put ourselves in a position where we can encounter God in his majesty? So the second thing I'm gonna ask you to write on your God boat is a thing, a few words that reminds you of God's powerfulness. A time where you remember experiencing God and experiencing his majesty and just being completely blown away in awe by him. The thing that I've written on, the, on my boat is the heavens. I remember maybe 15 years ago walking down a street in Liverpool and I'd been reading Revelation and there's a picture in Revelation of God tearing the skies apart and I literally felt I was walking down this road and like I could actually see it above my head and in that moment I had no shred of doubt that God was more powerful than I'd ever given him credit for. That's an image I carry with me and I come back to it again and again because it reminds me that my God is more powerful than I can conceive. So I'm going to give you another minute or two, and there we go, brilliant, it's on the screen. Something that reminds you about a time when you experienced God, or a time when you knew that he was really powerful. doing thumbs up brilliant sorry guys this is very audience participation i should have given you a heads up before the third step is understanding god's character and gathering evidence for it and isaiah 40 is full of this stuff it tells us that god is everlasting he's a creator he never grows weary or weak that his understanding is unsearchable but he's not indifferent that he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And I wonder what evidence we've got in our lives of God's character. What can we point to? What is it that makes God so special? Do we have a list or a well of things that we can draw up and say, this is who our God is, this is what he's like? The next thing we're gonna write on our boats is a few words about God's character that are meaningful to you. And so on my boat I've written, God is compassionate and merciful to me. Because despite all the ways that I have messed up in life, God still shows me compassion. He still shows me mercy. And he encourages other people to do the same. So I'll give you a minute to do that. We're nearly done with all the writing, guys, I promise. So, by now, you should have a boat with three things, at least three things written on it. Knowledge about God, something that you know about him, an experience of God, a time that you met him, and evidence of his character. But these three things are actually just a starting point. The final step in building a God boat is giving it a name. You cannot have a boat without a name. You can't ship, set sail on a boat without a name. And you might want to take this bit home and think about it a little bit more. But 
give your boat a name. I have named my boat Not Done Yet because that's the thing that I believe God says over my broken places and the things that I find hard that, that he has not done yet. So each of us has got a boat that's unique to us, unique to our experience of God, how we've met him. And this vessel is a place where we can put our fears, anxieties, dreams, and everything else. I've um, just a little bit earlier written on some of my post-it notes. So things that I'm concerned about, cost of living going up. I'm gonna stick that in my boat. Another thing that a dream, we'd love to have a house of our own. I'm gonna stick that in my boat. This is my cargo going on board. And the thing about the boat is it gives the context for all the cargo. The boat, the things I know about God is the context of my fears, my dreams, my anxieties. Like Paul in the storm about to be shipwrecked in Acts 27, he had hope in the God who would sustain the boat long enough for him to get close enough to shore to survive. His hope wasn't in the cargo and it wasn't even on the people on the boat, including the sailors and the ferrymen and everybody else. We can hope in God because he is the one who guarantees the integrity of the things we've written on the boat. They don't depend on me whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. God is still the same. His faithfulness is not measured by the presence of cargo on our boat. And that means we can put our fears, our hopes, our dreams, and our anxieties into his hands, knowing that he has the power to transform them. And that even if the outcome isn't what we hoped for, it isn't what we wanted, it wasn't that comfort with us, that God is with us, the one that we desire, that is a hope we can firmly grasp. So hopefully there's going to be a picture of a load of boats coming up on the screen. I believe new hope is the product of new knowledge and understanding in God in light of our present circumstances. Every time we go back to the one who is better than words and put our lives alongside his truth, we have an opportunity to discover new hope. So for me, this year, I'm putting my baggage in the same space about the things that I know about God, my knowledge about him, my experiences of him, the things that I know about his character. This is what I'm going to do with my stuff, my baggage. But I'm not stopping here. I don't want to get to the end of the year and have a paper boat. I want to be in that juggernaut on the left because I would hate to be in a rugged rubber dinghy and get caught in front of that boat. I don't want to just have three things that I can point to. I want to have 300. I want to have places on board that I can store my anxieties and fears knowing that God is the context of every single one of those things. I want to put my hope in the one who is strong and powerful and much bigger than I can comprehend. Knowing that my expectation that you will never abandon me is something that I can rely on, regardless of what the outcome is. And therefore, the outcome of the things that I'm dreaming and planning about, that I really don't have that much control over anyway, are in the hands of a great God. And even if things don't quite work out the way that I wanted, I know that his presence will be with me, wherever the path may lead. The end of today's passage is those, those famous lines that talks about soaring on wings like eagle, waiting and hoping on the Lord and renewing our strength. And I find these words really comforting in a kind of nostalgic, kind of like warm blanket kind of way. And that's a good thing. They are meant to be comforting words because they are true.
God will renew our strength. He won't give us an endless supply, but he will renew our strength when we turn to him. He will enable us to soar even with battered wings and storms in the air. And he will show us how to run and walk even along the rugged path. Earlier on, I pointed out to you that some of you have got really dodgy boats. Again, I'm sorry, if you want me to make you a better one after the service, let me know. But there is a clue in that. The more boat building you do, the better you get at building a boat. But maybe today, hope is a hard thing for you to grasp and you're doubting the things that you thought you knew and the experiences that you previously had about God. Maybe you feel like the person Isaiah is referring to in verse 27. You feel like God isn't hearing your cry, he doesn't care, and he's really far away and disinterested in everything that is going on with you. I want to encourage you that the things that were true in the light are still true in the dark. There's something about darkness that stops us from seeing things clearly. It throws shadows and ghosts and phantoms that can make us doubt everything that we know. And if that's you today, my encouragement is this. Hold fast to the truth and build a boat. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are the one that we can depend and rely on. No matter whether it's clear sailing or stormy skies, when we put our hope in you, you are the one who will never let us down because you are unchangeable. This year, Lord, will you help us to shift our gaze and start putting our hopes, our dreams, our fears and anxieties in your hands instead of some of the silly places that we like to squirrel them away. Will you help us trust that you are with us and amongst the cargo, whether we've got a tiny little shoebox or whether we feel that we've got con a container ship full of things that we don't know what to do with, Lord. We trust that when we turn to you, that you will be there with us in those things. Give us the courage and the discipline to build a boat, to keep coming back to you with these things again and again, because we know that you're never gonna leave us, you're never gonna abandon us, that you're not going to fail us. And at the end, we will see you face, face to face. That is the hope we hold on fast, Lord. At the end of it all, you have won us. And that is something that cannot be taken away from us. Amen. Amen.